Veni, Veni, Venias, and welcome to our podcast. Good evening, and welcome to Ask a Medievalist. I'm M, the Ask portion of our program, and joining me tonight, as always, is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! So, it's July! Uh, for a few more days. Yes! And given the editing lag time, I can't say for sure this episode is actually going to come out during the summer. It might. I'd say end of August, Labor Day. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. That's very <laughs> optimistic. I mean, um, unless we're going to do this as a special episode, we could do that. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. Easter. Okay. So, but the point is, we're talking about summer. Some Yay. people love it. Some people hide from it inside. Some people, you know... Go swimming. Endure it. Go swimming. <laughs> ice cream. Oh, beaches. ice cream. Yes. Uh, you get that summer music. Yacht Oh, summer music vibe. festivals. Yes. Yes. Um, Jesse, obviously, I think we talked about in a previous episode, went to Greece. Yep. And... That is a good place to be in the summer. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> Greece. Yes. Okay, after... Years and years of listening to Firesign Theater, I'm incapable of saying we're going to Greece without saying, and swim the English Channel? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a very, very obscure joke. Like, <laughs> Firesign Theater is my parents' generation of comedy a- LPs. Yes. Okay. Um, anyway, so the summer. I've been enjoying mine. Um, by n- leaving my house to run and otherwise lurking in the mm-hmm. basement and sleeping on a dog bed. <laughs> I wish I was <laughs> I wish that was a joke. I actually dragged a dog bed down here cuz it's cold and yeah, and I lived fair. when I lived abroad in Vietnam, I would sleep without air conditioning and I didn't care and it was fine and now I'm old and I need it to be a refrigerator when I sleep. Yep. So, here we are. I <laughs> but, fully agree. Yes. Yeah. But today we're talking about summer in the Middle Ages when they did not have air conditioning. Oh, God. Yeah. But they probably, Why? some of them <laughs> had better ventilation in their houses, question mark. Or the well, houses were made out of stone or something. Yeah. I mean, obviously they didn't have high-rise apartments where people have to shut the windows and then, you know. Yeah. Die of heat stroke. Yeah. So that was not a thing. Um, you could, of course, still die of heat stroke like out in the fields. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, we should point out a few things, one of which, so there's this funny aspect to the Middle Ages that is climate. Yes. We know it's a thing. We know it changes. Um, we had there's, a mini ice age at some point, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. That ended like partway through the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the reasons you can actually tell. So like people who might have grown up reading books from... The 19th century, for example, <laughs> or even the early 20th century. Many fun things were written. Um, I myself always loved the descriptions of winter in the Little House books. Um, mm-hmm. Laura Wingles Wilder, of course, both racist and very, you know, anti-Native American. Um, but amazing depictions of winter. Mm-hmm. Love it. Right. And how cold it gets and all the sort of fun that goes on. And this, these are sort of the remnants of that mini ice age. She did prairie fires too, didn't she? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I think Absolutely. that's a big that's a big summer feature. Yes, so, and we will talk go. about fires. Yes. actually, but um, which of course, yes, that is that is a thing that continues to happen and has always happened. But um, it's worth pointing out, right? Climate, of course, changes, and right now it is mm-hmm. getting very bad. But before the mini ice age, there is something that's called. Some people have called it the medieval warming period, but that's not actually fair because it wasn't the planet. It's basically like Europe, parts of sort of the northern, what are today sort of northern and western hemispheres. Okay. (laughs) Um, But we're really talking Europe. Went through what is more, I think, specifically called now um, the medieval climate anomaly. Okay. Because... These areas did warm up a little bit. Mm-hmm. That and being we don't know why. Right. We don't exactly know why. There's not an obvious volcano or something necessarily, mm-hmm. which, of course, would have been more global, probably. Not always. Right. I mean, some of those things are local. But, um, well, okay. So, like, you do get volcanoes in the 19th century that super affected the climate, right? Like, we yes, talked about yes. um, 18... The, sum- okay, the year without a summer. 18, right? Yeah. 1816, and there is like a volcano that blew up in Indonesia. It was Mount Tambora. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there was a wave of famines across Europe because it got super cold and nothing grew. Mm-hmm. And this is a problem when you are dependent yeah. on like the sun and the heat. Yeah. And also, yeah. that was when Frankenstein was written that yep. summer. Because it was rainy. You couldn't go outside. See, this yes. is what happens when you can't go outside in the summer. Yes. Um, you get amazing literature. No. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> some, hey, sometimes you do. I mean, but that's also why you winters, right? You mm-hmm. People do that stuff in the winter. Um, but yes, it was. it's known as a volcanic winter, basically. Uh, 1815 eruption of Mount Tambora in April. And then 1816... Right, so 1815 in April, yeah. this happens, it sort of spreads, and by 1816, 1816 becomes the year without a summer. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But yeah, absolutely, right? And there's a bunch of these that you can trace throughout history. Um, we, I'm pretty sure, have mentioned <laughs> Santorini, also known as Thera, um, because I went there finally this summer, speaking of Greece. Yes. Um, it's freaking amazing. It did wipe out, a, you know... There was a volcano no in Santorini. I don't remember. If I mean, it is a yeah. volcano. Right. It's, I There's, mean, volcanic still... islands are like Hawaii, right? Volcanic islands yes. are volcanoes. They are made out of volcanoes that have blown up or erupted, rather. Yes. <laughs> until You know, and ash and it pokes its way. There's a great, I think, Pixar short that shows this. Um, the volcano erupting, erupting, and growing out of the ocean, and then it gets old and old and old and sinks below, and then it finally erupts again and comes back out. It's also a cute little love story between volcanoes. It's very cute. Oh. But, um, yes, it's a lot of fun. I recommend it. But, okay, so also, um, there's, there was a thread on Twitter. Yes. That got turned into a Radiolab episode. Uh, Latif Nasser talked about the, what he called the worst year ever, which was like 500, I want to say he said like 562 right in there where there's a big volcanic eruption and starvation mm-hmm. and then the Justinian plague hit. Yeah. I mean, you know, yes, there are lots of years that that have been bad, bad. because of these things. But um, Santorini is one of the famous old ones because mm-hmm. it the island exploded um, and the whole center disappeared. 
Um, since then, so that, and that Akrotiri is the very, very famous Mayan civilization that was there. Mayan. Oh my god. Minoan. Minoan. Just say Minoan. I'll cut yes. out the Mayan. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, I've been watching all the Marvel panels because Comic-Con just happened and, um, Namor is now Mayan. Or instead of Atlantean. Um, they sort of made a combination Mayan-Aztec. So okay. I am... Anyway. Okay. They call they still call so, him Namor yes. instead of yeah. Axolotl or yes. something. But they but he's no longer from Atlantis. Okay. Yeah. He's from um but okay. So uh but yeah, so the Minoan civilization of Akrotiri gets exploded. I mean, most of the city is still buried. They've un you know, they've dug up the very, very center. Um, they just start digging, and what it happens that they found is the very, very center. Um, but it just got buried the way Pompeii did. So they're working on unearthing it, and it's gorgeous and amazing, because the Minoans. But so that's that's old, old. We've talked about them. Um, much later, there is another explosion. And this time, because already, right, there's just a big crater that's just water. Mm-hmm. So this time the explosion actually pushes some land up in the middle. So now when you go to Santorini, it's basically like a crescent around a little dot in the middle, which is the volcano, and you can hike up it. Yes. Because, um, of course, it's closed, because that's the land that pokes up. Like, the water is the crater. <laughs> which is funny, because uh. there's nothing people want more than to go sailing around it at sunset. Right. Which is amazing. But, of course, um, you know, the most recent big earthquake was, I think, in the 60s, which is a reminder that that thing is still freaking around. Like, mm-hmm. it's still active. <laughs> yeah, and periodically um, we do get volcanoes where people are like, oh, it hasn't blown up in X number of years, and then it blows up. And like, then it one, does, There yeah. was one in New Zealand two yeah. years ago, right? Yeah, it turns out volcanoes can have cycles like, of, like, a thousand years, even a million years. Yeah. Which They're to not, us... Just, like, be careful is yes. the thing. Yes, to us, a million year cycle would make it seem extinct. Yeah. But, of course... It still isn't, is the point, I guess. Maybe anyway. it's because I live in the Midwest where we do not have any volcanoes. Do not have volcanoes, yes. feels very threatening. Right. And I'm sure that, you know, somebody living in Santorini would be like, oh, tornadoes, ugh. Well, I mean, it's one of the most gorgeous places I've ever visited. Right. But <laughs> also, I did think about that occasionally. Like, especially at night when it, it disappears. Like, suddenly it's so dark. Mm-hmm. You can see all the lights on the island, but, like, the middle is just dark. And it, it reminds you that that thing is a crater of yeah. volcano. <laughs> like, <laughs> But anyway, so um, later there's a Greek settlement also on it. Greek-Greek, um, you know, like Mycenaean Greek. Um, but anyway, this idea, obviously, when it exploded, um, it left remnants all over the area. You know, the sort of Mediterranean, basically. Um, It definitely changed the weather. It's a a very, very, very famous event. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, climate is one of those things that does change drastically for all kinds of reasons. The dinosaurs, of course, also knew this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know. I mean, it's a thing. But yes, I don't, we don't know exactly why necessarily there was this slight warming in this medieval anomaly, because it, it does seem to have been localized, so what was going on? Um, but it does seem to have warmed. That being said, it wasn't as hot back then as it is today, right? Today mm-hmm. we have global warming, 
and it is hotter than it has ever been before. So while it would have been horrific, and if you have, you know, I've definitely been in Greece at the temperatures that it would have been back then. Mm-hmm. It's just that now when I leave at the end of June, July and August get even hotter. <laughs> what I experience in Greece in June is what people in the Middle Ages experienced in July and August, right? That's about as hot as it got. And now it gets even hotter. So that is worth remembering. It doesn't mean it's easy without air conditioning, but it's a little different. Um, I imagine it's a lot like being in Vietnam, honestly. Like, after a while, you sort of get more used to it. Sure, yeah. And it depends also... Well, but also, know, global warming is taking us to a point but... where you can't... Like, you are people are going to be living in places where you can't get used to it anymore. I mean, people are already living in those places. <laughs> but even places where you used to be able to get used to it, you won't be able to anymore. I mean, the Midwest is one of those places. You didn't used to used to need the air conditioning the whole summer. You need it like July and August. Now oh. you need it in June and possibly September. <laughs> and depends. maybe a little bit of May, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it does depend, but there have been changes. So um, anyway, so summer, this is the thing, right? That, so the, the Middle Ages, interestingly, did have possibly this little bit of warming and then it did cool off again and you get the sort of the little ice age. Um, so... There were these kind of dips. But interestingly, so that's sort of the weather and the climate. Um, I did want to start with summer. What is it? (laughs) The funny answer is that um, summer is a Germanic word. And basically, this is, of course, all from like the OED, basically, uh, etymology. But um, it's not, first of all, it's not entirely clear what it meant. Like, (laughs) Why is summer called summer? It's not clear. There are a bunch of theories, but it's actually not clear. Oh. So. Okay. That's that. Yeah. Okay. Nobody Um, knows. (laughs) Yeah, it's not actually, which is interesting. There are some theories that it sort of meant like this half of the year and winter was like the other half of the year was, but a lot of these are based on sort of etymologies that that either can't be proven or that probably sort of showed up after the fact or, you know. All right. So we just don't know what it means. We don't know what it means. Um, and words for the words for sort of spring and autumn kind of went in and out of use. Originally, um, Lent or Lenten was spring and harvest was fall. And those, it's not clear sort of how exactly those fit in. <laughs> um, and then, of course, they went out of use. Harvest is still a word we use, but Lent, of course, just comes to mean that the religious festival. One, yeah, the one month. And not not spring. Mm-hmm. But that's, I think, where Lent gets its name from. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, um, so spring and autumn come in later. Fall, you know, all these other words come in later. Um, but... Summer, consequently, right, these Germanic terms, it's not clear where they come from. Mm-hmm. The Latin term for summer, istus, um, which is still estate and things, right? You have um, various, it's the romance. Estate. Oh, so that's where ete comes from in yes. French. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, estate, Italian. So you, So the romance versions 
still exist. Um, and it seems to come from the Proto-Indo-European word for fire or burn. Okay. So presumably, it is named for the fact that it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Heim, which is winter, Ibernas, things like that, um, that comes from the Greek word for snow, which comes from other things, but the Greek word for snow, for example. Um, so that is cold. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So the, so the romance slash Latin words are based on the seasons. It's not clear what the Germanic words mean. Okay. Um, so that's, that's that just for fun for, for summer. <laughs> <laughs> um, next up. All right. What do we do in the summer? We just listed a lot of things that we do. I have to say, although I am not a person who likes heat, I definitely am a person who likes summer mm-hmm. because things like no school. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so the advantage of being a professor. Yes. Um, so you get vacation. Uh, that being said, of course, vacation in the summer, anyone who can afford to take a vacation has taken it in the summer, going back not just to the Middle Ages, but long before that. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the answer to the question, why do we vacation in the summer, isn't because that's when there's no school and you can take the kids. <laughs> um, it's because that is when it's easiest to travel. Sure. Now, obviously, that becomes less true when traveling is something like going through an airport and they can't handle the number of travelers they're getting because they didn't hire people back enough and pay them enough. Well, but if you've ever been trying to go for winter break in Paris and seen the city shut down because they got two inches of snow. Yes. Um, it is definitely easier to get there in the summer. Yes. Um, and that is the point, right? That winter weather is bad. And that's basically the point. <laughs> that's basically the point. Winter yes. weather is bad. Uh, there are storms starting at some point in the fall, wherever wherever you live. You are getting maybe hurricanes, maybe tornadoes, maybe snowstorms, thunderstorms. Whatever it is, whatever it is you're getting. It's bad, right. it's worse. There's and a lot of mud. Crucially, you can't predict it. And traveling requires that you are more exposed to the elements Yes. Then you might be in a car even. Like, yes. a car in a bad thunderstorm is not pleasant, but I think a car in a horse-drawn carriage would, or a thunderstorm in a horse-drawn carriage would probably be worse. Maybe, yeah. But, you know, snow is going to be worse. Yeah, ice, right? Yes. Cold. You know, you can freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is not impossible to overheat and die, of course. But it is much easier to freeze to death traveling in the winter, basically, is sort yeah. of the idea here. Um, because we're talking people who are wealthy, so you can probably find places to stay cool. You have friends with country houses. But that's why you go to them in the summer. So traveling in the summer has always been that thing. Um, obviously, Jane Austen, um, anyone who's read some. Yes. Well, you travel or, in the summer. Yeah. Yes. And you go to Bath, you go to your country house, you go to wherever. And then in the winter, you go into the city, right? You stay in London for, quote unquote, the season. The season, which coincides with the sitting of Parliament. Yes. But that's why, right? In the summer, everyone gets out. And that's because that's we can afford to travel. Roads are good, mm-hmm. right? They're not muddy, which they otherwise, in the winter, from melting snow or whatever. Right? In the summer, everything's hot. It's dry. 
so you can travel. Um, so nobility, the wealthy, you know, whoever you are. This is when you go to your country house. This is when you go visit your friends at their country houses. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say also, like, yeah. cities that are hot. Yes. Smell really bad. Ah. So, so if you have money and right. you can be not in the city. Well, interestingly, so smell, of course, I think we have talked about this before, was associated with disease. Yes. Right? If you could smell it, then something's bad and you're getting the disease, right? Um, or that's how disease is carried. Uh, and bad smells. You know, mi- miasma, stuff like this. Um, and so, um, interestingly, of course, while that is not true, things that smell bad can give you diseases, <laughs> just for other reasons than the smell, mm-hmm. right? Like the bacteria and the germs. But um, this did mean that, yeah, getting out in the, from a city in the summer when stuff is rotting and decaying and all that is definitely a good idea. Also, of course, plague. Right? Yes. Plague comes back in the summer. Shakespeare frequently has to tour in the summer because they have to shut down the playhouses. Yes, not just to set up for one of the great Sandman episodes. This was actually something that happened. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, And so, obviously, we have come to know this, right? When the plague is making its rounds, you shouldn't be congregating with people, even necessarily in big groups outside, Mm -hmm. because you will get it. And this... You know, our current plague, it's because of droplets going through the air. The previous one, it was because of fleas jumping from person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, but that did mean in the summer you would want to get out of town, right? So plague was definitely a big thing that happened in the summer. It would shut things down, and it meant if you could travel, you should. You should be out on the road. You should be out in the country, right? Yes. Um So a lot of those same things that we think of today, right? Go to the national parks. Enjoy nature. Um all of that has been true for since the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. They didn't have national parks, of course. You went this with the wealthy who had their own parks and country houses that they, you know, with lots of land. Um, but you did this if you could afford to, right? Um, so that is, but that's why. This is also where this sort of don't, this is modern, but the concept of not wearing white after Labor Day comes in. Mm-hmm. Because um, white is a color you can wear in the summer, it keeps you cool. And because everything's hot and dry, you don't get your white clothes dirty. Ah, but in the winter, okay. when it's all muddy and nasty, and you have horses like throwing mud up onto your lap or whatever, mm-hmm. um, to wear white is gauche, right? Because it implies you, you know, have a lot of money to keep it clean and stuff, right? Um, which I think, I think the rule was kind of made to try and shame people with, with quote unquote new money. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, because most of the time, fashion is about looking like you have way more money than you do, right? Like, that's what designer stuff is about. So (laughs) to be like, you are conspicuously consuming things with your white clothes is a little surprising. Yeah. But yeah, that was exactly the point. And so now, of course, we have washing machines and whatever, and we don't Everyone and we have bleach. We have bleach, and you're like, why can't I wear this in the winter? But that's why. Yeah. <laughs> so it's this very old. I mean, I don't think anyone cares anymore. But it's this very old idea. It's not that old, to be fair. It's a mm-hmm. hundred years or so old. 
Um, but that's where it comes from. And it is, re- but it's related to, again, this, this truly old idea of summer is when you travel and winter is when you don't, right? Which is why people say, you know, you winter in wherever, because you like hunker down. And we mentioned the Latin word, I believe, right? Heim, which is where we get like Ibernus, um, which of course is where we get like hibernate, right? Animals hibernate in the winter, because you hunker down. Yeah, Heim is, a, um, say, a Norwegian word meaning home? Yes. Yeah. I so. I am the ER reversed. Okay. Yes. So it's phonologically. Yes. Interesting. Exactly. Yes, home, hibernate, winter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that whole sense of, of course, that's when you hibernate, because also everything's dead. In addition to, you mm-hmm. know, so... Where where are you going to go anyway? Right, <laughs> everything's dead. Um, if you're an animal, what are you going to eat? Right. So you know these are different problems, but um, but anyway, so you travel. Yeah, you travel in the in the summer. Um, there's an interesting offshoot of this, of course. Um, as I said, you know, mostly this is the wealthy and so on, which is true. But also, if you really saved up, you might go on pilgrimage. In which okay. case, of course, you'd go in the summer. Yeah. Um, or you certainly start in the summer, you know, depending on where you went, it might take you a really long time to get there, but, um... Because, okay, but Chaucer has them starting in April. In April. Right? Yes. When that with the shortest should yes. be? Um, suta. Sota. Sota. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Um, Sota. Yeah. Um, Point being, um, so, right, but they didn't think about spring, is what you're saying. So, right. you basically got... The snow melted and it was summer? Yes. Okay. Basically. I mean, the idea that spring is a kind of lead into summer, a kind of antechamber to summer. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, of course, it is spring. He talks all about spring and about how the showers are, of course, making the flowers. Like, this is a thing we still say. <laughs> um, weirdly. Now we say... April is the cruelest month. Breach well, lilacs yes. out of a dead land. Yes. But um, I was thinking April showers bring May flowers. <laughs> no, we have to go with the most goth version of it. Yes. But I mean, that's basically what Chaucer is saying, actually. Yeah. Which is um, funny. And uh, that is sort of the point, right? That, of course, you know, it's all about virility. The virility mm-hmm. of spring. Um, but... That's the sort of um, idea behind, <laughs> again, the fact that we don't know where summer and winter as words, we know they're Germanic. We don't know what they meant other than they mean the seasons. But um, but that that is one of the ideas that kind of it was looked at as a two half, basically two seasons. Okay. Um, yes. And so this is, so spring is the beginning of summer. So April is the beginning of summer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when April, with his sweet showers, has pierced the drought of March to the root and bathed every vein in such liqueur, <laughs> liquor, um, by which virtue engendered is the floor, flower. So we have like the impregnating of the earth with the virility, the virtue, which of course, veer, masculinity, um, of the 
the rain. Rawr. Yeah, it's all this sort of sex at the beginning of this thing <laughs> that I don't know how often all this gets taught to undergrads, but it should it, it should be. It should be. Um, but yes, so all of this stuff that happens. That um, long in folk to go on pilgrimages. Yes, well, so pricketh him nature and here courageous, right? Nature pricks them in their yes. hearts. <laughs> yes. Then, and then, yeah. Pricks them so, on. Yes. Yeah, he very much pictures it. I mean, he paints it as a kind of spring break. Yeah. From a modern standpoint. Please. These are not pilgrims, with a couple exceptions. These are not the most devout of pilgrims. <laughs> They're making a pilgrimage to senior frogs to get a margarita yes. or something. Yes. yes. These are party party pilgrims for the most part, with a few exceptions. Um, They're there to see what they can get out of it and to have a good time. Why yeah. not? Right. But it's that's right. That is spring break. Spring break is when people shake off the dead of winter, the force to be cooped up, and you go out and you act wild. Right? That's the point of Mardi Gras. Yes. Um, is that you get to act wild before you before Lent, which of course meant spring, which is interesting. <laughs> um, but in this case does not, right? So before you deprive yourself. Um, so so spring, right? It's this wildness after this enforced kind of, you know, chastity, basically. <laughs> you have to stay at home all winter. Um, so pilgrimage, this is another thing, right, that, that happens for sure. People travel. So the nobility are traveling around to all their country stuff, but ordinary people might save up, or more ordinary people. I mean, you still obviously had to be sort of middle class, but people who are not nobility, but can say, have enough, you know, have a business and can save money, might go on pilgrimage. Um, the other interesting thing about traveling, who else travels in the summer? Armies. Armies travel oh. in the summer. Yes, you have a fighting season. Yes, war happens in the summer. And that is true since ancient times, because for all the reasons you can't travel in the winter, your army can't travel in the winter. Yes. You can't have however many men tromping through the mud and getting stuck in crap. No. Right? So you yes. fight in the summer, right, starting around May, and then you go home in the winter. And this is true all the way to the modern era, which is why we have Valley Forge. <laughs> ah, Yes. Um, your army has to winter somewhere, and depending on where that is, they might starve. I went there once. It's oh wow, park, really? I think yeah. Well, it is now, sure. <laughs> the, a week after the first time I ran a marathon, my friend and I biked there, and it's about I want to say like twenty twenty five miles from Philly, which was where we were starting. Okay. Which doesn't sound like much, except mm -hmm. that I was really, really not in shape for a twenty. A 50-mile like, right. trip bike ride a um, week out from doing a marathon. So yeah. it was oh an gosh. interesting experience. I just remember buying a Snickers bar in the gift shop. But I'm sure that there were a lot of memorials wow. because a lot of people died there. Yes. Um, but it's there like a it's lot. a park, you know. Yeah. It's not like it's not like there's, you know, an, a ruined castle or something. It's not that right. kind of exciting thing. But No, no. Of course not. <laughs> but still... Um, yeah, I mean, that's basically, <laughs> that is the point. And that's that's why this happens, right? Because um, you got to winter your army there, wherever it is, there happens to be Valley Forge. And of course, the problem is because it's winter, you might not have any food. Mm -hmm. um, this is particularly true. I mean, sometimes it's just bad planning. Continental but army. this, yeah. yes, but this can be particularly true because um, the, the next thing we're going to talk about, summer, spring, 
And summer are when you plant and harvest everything. Right. And one of the things an army might do as they're marching through the fields is burn everything. Right. So... (laughs) I was going to say that one thing I learned from Hamilton is that if you want to fight a war, you need money. Yes. And, like, I'm not sure that was, like, supposed to be the main takeaway, but, like, the need to move troops and get supply lines and and money to buy things, but... That's also, why it's such a an underdog yeah. story, right? Because <laughs> yeah. we beat the British Empire. Huh. We stole their cannons, apparently. Yes. Okay, we but, <laughs> but you, if you're not walking through your own country, right. you might burn their fields. Yeah, because you is... got ships coming in to supply you, and yeah. they don't, because this is their food. <laughs> this is their country. Yeah. Now, sometimes it goes the other way, actually. Um, when Napoleon went after Russia... Um, when even before that, Napoleon is famous, but yes. in like 1708 or 1708-9, 1708-9, 08-09, Charles of Sweden, Charles XII, I think, of Sweden, uh, invaded Russia, and the Russian army sort of retreated and burned everything as they went. Oops. And, uh, his army starved. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the end of that. And so he went, you know, that was, that was the end of that invasion in, of Sweden. Into Russia. Um, but then, of course, famously Napoleon, and also famously Decided someone who was German, again. German and fascist later in World War II, um, yeah, both famously kind of beaten, quote unquote, beaten by the Russian winter. And that, of course, is true in as much as winter, particularly one as harsh as you get in Russia, happens to bring all these other things with it. And if you haven't properly planned for it, you are going to get stuck. You're going to starve. And that's what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Napoleon, I don't know if he really said it, but the famous cliche, right, that he said uh, an army marches on its stomach. Um, yeah, he should have known better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, he definitely did know that, whether or not he said it, um, but he just did not plan appropriately. The other the other old cliche, never get involved in a land war land in war Asia. Yes. <laughs> oh, also Princess Also important. Yes. yes. Yes, the best. Um but that's one of the other things about winter, right? And this is why famously there all the there are all of these sort of famous examples, even in the modern era, when you'd think people could plan for winter, that demonstrate it's still really a bad time to fight. <laughs> Particularly in places that have bad winters. Okay. Right? Which I think even if you live in like the northern Midwest, like Chicago or Madison or Minneapolis or somewhere mm-hmm. like this. You still understand why that is a bad time for an army to fight. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's just not feasible. Mm-hmm. And stuff freezes, right? Cars freeze, tanks freeze, like, mm-hmm. things stop working when it gets too cold. <laughs> Even modern there's, things. There's something yeah. about, I, okay, this is, um, definitely a man fact because it's based on, like, half remembered things. But something about <laughs> diesel that when it gets too cold, it turns into, like, gel or something. Hmm. Which is why tr- some types of trucks do really badly in the winter. In the winter. I mean, there are additives and all this stuff that you use if you're going to... Yeah. If you're truly going to be going, like, through Alaska or something. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's why, like, snow tires, you know, all this stuff. Chains on your tires. Mm-hmm. All these things that exist. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so it's just this reminder, but it's an interesting thing because it's a very famous aspect of warfare 
all the way to the modern era that you fight in the summer and you winter. And the thing is that wintering can be so devastating, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes more devastating than the losses that you have in summer. This happened in the Civil War, of course, right? Because people starve. There's disease. Obviously, winter, we all know this is when plagues come roaring back. Not the same ones you get in summer, but you know, pneumonia, Things, you know, whatever. If you, inside all the <laughs> bronchitis, time. the flu. Back when people yes. died of these, people still die of the flu in droves, honestly, which is yes. horrific. But um, back when people died of all these things, dysentery, whatever, you know. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, like, so in cholera, any, of course, famously. in many places in the world, if you do not have hospitals that can give you good medical support, these things will still kill you. Yes. So, um, yeah, so we have, so all of these things that happen, happen in the winter that can be worse, actually, than the losses you get from fighting in the summer. Um, all right. So, this being said, right, um, crops in the summer, if, if you're going to not starve in the winter, <laughs> whether as an army or just as a town, you need your crops. Um, and so this is the reminder that time was marked a little bit differently in the Middle Ages than it is today, mm -hmm. not just because of religious holidays, sort of, we still really do that in today's calendar, right? We measure our year by things like Christmas and New Year's and Easter. <laughs> um, so we still do some of that, not quite to the same extent, maybe, but we definitely still do that. But we don't mark it by agricultural time in the same way. Um, I think if you live in certain places, again, like the Midwest, you are used to seeing the farming year. Right? Yeah, there's like the um, cow manure season. Yes, <laughs> and then there's uh, you know like sort of the the knee high by the Fourth of July season. Yes, um, there's roadside vegetable season, and yes. then in the fall, like you'll see them tilling. There's squash know, season. Squash season. Yes. Yes. Um, pumpkin farm season. Yes, and then you see all the retail, the tilling, and the sort of stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, and then. Um, I also think of like hay, hay season, hay bale season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's one that we actually, that still exists and that is the same as it used to be. Um, but basically, there are several harvests that take place. Oh, apple so, picking. I forgot apple picking. Oh, yes. That's, that's of course, kind of specific to us. It's not actually specific to us in any way, but um, that was not the main agricultural event. Of, right. You know, um, Europe really ran on grain. So the mm -hmm. agricultural season was very much marked by grain. Although, to be fair, um, we're going to probably post, we're just going to post a link to the Très Riches Ours, um, the Very Rich Hours of Jean-Duc de Berry, which was created yes. by the Lindbergh brothers. And um, it's much a very delightful illustrated yeah. manuscript. Yes, it's gorgeous and amazing and beautiful. And there's famously, there's a lot of stuff in it, but famously there are these full page illustrations for every month mm -hmm. that show stuff related to France and the Duke. And um, it's just really fun. <laughs> but also things specific to those months. Like mm -hmm. what what did people in the past think of those months? Um, so definitely like February is snow, because that's always, you know, that's how it is. But um, the harvest... Um, so we're actually going to start in the fall. Um, the harvest ends in the fall, right? So you get sort of your final harvest in the fall. And then in October, the, the image for October from the very rich hours is, um, sowing seeds and harrowing, 
which is to say um, covering the seeds over. But there is a kind of medieval device, a harrow, that was used to do this. Um, yeah, so that you can do several heard of these. things at once. Yeah. So there's a nice picture. Um, but anyway, so you'd cover up the seeds and then they would be there. And your winter crops that you expected to sort of, you know, get later in the winter um, were things like wheat and rye. Winter, so these are winter wheat specifically, right? Yes. It's like yeah. different. There's like different types of. Yes. And if you yeah, ever yeah. get really into bread making, you can be really, really nerdy about flour. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. There are blogs and blogs depicted um, or dedicated to um, not just specifying and depicting which which ones are which and how do you recognize them or how do you find them, but also really, really <laughs> dedicated to specifying um which ones probably would have been used by certain people at certain times. So if you're trying to remake X, Y, and Z, like, oh yeah, what is it you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which is awesome and phenomenal. But um, but yeah, so you do have winter crops. Um, but then everything's dead, basically. Of course, most of the stuff, say December, January, February, things are, you get things that are snowy in February. Um, and then things start to come back in the spring, um, so that's when you get, you get your first sort of harvests of stuff. And then, of course, spring planting. Um, so you're planting all your stuff for the summer. Um, June, the, the picture for June is, um, haying. Okay. So bringing in the hay, cutting down the hay. This is why I said, like, we see this today, actually, mm-hmm. in the summer as well. High summer, you go driving through fields and you'll see all the hay bales. Um, um there's a big scene in, uh, the Once in Future King, mm-hmm. I think, where the, the T.H. White novel, yeah, yeah. um, about Arthur, yes. um, where they are all making hay on the estate. Yes. And of course, this is making hay while the sun shines, right? Yes. Um, that you gotta, this is one of the early ones, right? That you do. Mm-hmm. This is June. You're probably gonna harvest it around the end of June, which of course is also the longest day of the year. Um, and the picture specifically in this one is fun because they're using scythes. Yes. Um, and which are, wood. yes. Um, and those are coming into more permanent use as opposed to sickles. <laughs> um, the July harvest picture shows the use of sickles. Oh, okay. Yeah, for so for grain. Prepare. Yes. Um, so that's another wheat grain that they're harvesting with sickles, and they're also shearing the sheep in July, in mm-hmm. the July picture. Um, very cute. Yes. Um, and then August, you get more harvesting of grain. You get swimming as well. There's, you can see people swimming in the river behind, sort of in the middle. Um, and you get, um, a party, a clearly sort of noble party. I mean, this is for the Duke, right? (laughs) Um, hawking. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk more about summer sports, the swimming and the hawking in a sec. Um, and then in September, this is France, remember, in September, you've got a very famous picture of the grape harvest. Aha. Yeah. Um, so these are not eating grapes. These are, these are wine making grapes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so anyway, but this, but the sort of interesting reminder, right? That spring, we know, of course, spring planting, things start to grow. Um, but harvest, you really are harvesting things throughout the summer, right? Mm -hmm. 
you're harvesting your different crops throughout the summer. And when you hit fall, which we sort of think of as like harvest season, all the celebrations in fall that we talk about, you know, from Halloween to whatever else, um, Sukkot, <laughs> whatever it is, um, they're all to celebrate the end of the harvest. Right. Ah. These are all things that celebrate the fact like all the harvests have been completed mm-hmm. and we hope that we have enough food to get us through to the next harvest, right. basically to spring. Right. Um, so that's what that's all about, basically. Um, but yeah, so summer is very much a time for work um, and and harvesting and agriculture. So that's definitely a sort of aspect of summer is that it is hot um and so you got people working out in the fields Mm -hmm. you got to be careful um and so even though it wasn't quite as hot as it gets now so we're not talking sort of the extraordinary heat they're getting in england now it's not getting up to 100 but it's definitely hitting 80 some right so it's harsh um and remember there's not there's no cotton (laughs) (laughs) Instead <laughs> of cotton, linen is expensive, you're, so you're both you're wearing wool probably, right? That's why you're shearing your sheep. Um, guys, men could wear short sleeved tunics, but women did not generally have bare arms. Women's arms are covered, mm-hmm. and they have full skirts. But you can see in some of the pictures they've sort of tucked up the outer layers, yes, like into their belts or whatever. But still, like it's hot. Now it is helping you avoid getting sunburned. You're also encouraged to wear, like, large-brimmed hats. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're a noble woman, then you're not probably going to go out at midday. You are going to be fully covered. You're, you know. But even if you're a working woman um, or man, you don't want to get sunburned. Right. Um, and so things like large-brimmed hats are important. <laughs> um, but also, there are some fun sunburn slash sunscreen remedies that they had. Or, you know, remedies slash ointments. Um, this, of course, goes way, way back. There's a papyrus from, like, I think 1500 BCE um, that suggests honey and grease for, for burns. <laughs> um, one with, like, mud and oil and plant extracts. Mud actually lasts a very long time. That's a sort of standard even through almost the modern, well, to modern era. That's mud what a, some a lot of animals do, right? They yeah. go in the mud to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, people do the same. Why not? Or probably saw animals do it and decided to try it. I don't know, really. Anyway. Um, but, um, so, you know, this is ancient Egypt, by the way. Papyrus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, also, ancient Egypt, where obviously also it gets definitely hot and sunny. Um, they also use things like honey and aloe. Okay. Um, which of they didn't know that aloe might be, you know, we still use aloe. Um, so there you go. Anyway. Um, so honey sticks around as a um, com- component in things. Honey and oils. You know, these tend to be the things. Um, athletes in ancient Greece basically used oil, right? That's what they rubbed on themselves when they competed naked. Um, and that served For to sort everything? of... Like all sports? Yep. Okay. Like that's just what athletes used. Um oh, sure. so and it was both a sort of cleanser, like you would wipe it on yourself and then scrape yourself off with a sigil strigil. Um <laughs> it was a sort of um it was just a scraper. <laughs> and you you know, so it was 
I mean, they also took baths and stuff, but this is to, you know, it's supposed to make you smell good and stuff. Okay. Um, and also possibly protect you against things like sun and things like that. Um, the medieval remedy, there was one po- possible one, um, a salve of ivy twigs boiled in butter. Um, also, there's a suggestion possibly ivy leaves if you kind of rub them. Okay. On yourself. Um, so this is a, you know, anyway, one of them. Um, the fun one, (laughs) um, and I should have said, by the way, the, the strigil, this is, this is, um, you know, Greek athletes, uh, there are lots of fun examples of it, um, around still. So you can definitely like, well, maybe we'll post a picture. Um, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because it's sort of, if you think of Olympic athletes today, they sort of rub themselves down in chalk and stuff and, you know, all yeah. these things. Like, I mean, it depends on what you're doing, right? Like, yeah. If, if Wrestling, I think you still you... oil? I'm not sure. It, if you? you're using, <laughs> if your hands are going to get sweaty and you need to do grippy things, use chalk. Yeah. And sometimes they also put, like, honey on their hands, actually. Yeah. For gymnastics. So- um, yeah, so but, there's something weird know, about... Like, if you're running, you might put something slippery, you know, like, under your armpits or something to prevent yeah. chafing. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a weird sense in which some of these things have been done forever. I think it's partly tradition. Mm-hmm. These, You know, it just carries through because everybody's always done it. But also, it's partly, um, yeah, there's a practicality to it. You know, Greek sports were running, jumping, wrestling. So oil, yeah, for friction and stuff makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, and then the strigil just scrapes it all off. Yeah. But anyway, so the fun remedy um, is Trotula, who we've talked about, um, recommends camphor for sunburn or sunscreen. Um, and apparently oh. it's actually, there's a derivative of it. There's a compound a, that's a camphor derivative that is used in sunscreen today, but that isn't approved in the U.S., or Japan or Denmark. <laughs> um, so it's used in the EU. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's some issues with it. We, you can look up on Wikipedia or Science Journals or wherever and see. We'll post like an article or something. But um, there's some potential things that it does that are not great. Maybe. Or does it in small doses? Or, you know, it's hard to tell. But anyway. So it hasn't. It's been approved in the EU, I guess, but not. Yeah. Um, but apparently, I guess. But it means it works. So Trachel is right. It works. But. Go trotula. Maybe it's not good for you in other ways. Anyway, okay. So that's sunburn sunscreen. Um, and general protection if you're running around outside. Um, also, of course, as I said, swimming. This is definitely a thing. Uh, there's mm-hmm. the great image of people swimming the river. We've talked about this. Of course, people did bathe a lot more than people thought. Um, and we'll have an episode of that coming out at some point. Did we? But, not, did that one not come out yet? Yeah, I guess it didn't. Um, I was going to say, yes. like, obligatory Walt Whitman <laughs> reference... Also. Oh, of course. Yes, of course, of course. Um, but the other problem with swimming is that a lot of people in the Middle Ages didn't necessarily actually know how to swim. <laughs> so if you got to a place that was deep or there was a strong tide, there was also potentially drowning, which, of wow. course, is also still true today. I mean, even if you can swim, if you go out too far in the ocean or whatever, yeah. or lake, so or even certain rivers, obviously, <laughs> Um so Personal that is flotation a, devices, guys. Take advantage yes. of the modern era. Yes, exactly. I fell in the lake last week and I didn't die. Right. <laughs> um, yes, and that is, of course, the thing the Middle Ages also did not really have was plastic floaty wings or whatever. Um, 
Yeah. So, <laughs> um, not so good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that was a problem. That was definitely a problem. Um, there was lots of enjoying splashing around in the water. I guess I shouldn't exactly call it swimming, but because not everyone knew how to swim, people could also drown. I and mean, that was had, sometimes there weren't a huge problem. formal strokes probably yet, right? Like, Right. It's right. By swimming, you just mean how to not dr- drown. Right. Right. And even how to potentially save someone else from drowning or something like that, which definitely people, there have been people for thousands of years who have known how to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just that, um, you know, also people do not know how to do that. <laughs> so, right. yes. So there was definitely also drowning was a problem. Um, but it is worth pointing out anyone who lived near a body of water could jump in it probably. Right. Yeah. Um, of course, there are private things on people's estates where they're like, this part of the lake is mine. But there weren't so many private beaches quite the way there are now, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, you know, if you live by the river, you can jump in it. Um, other things, though, that were really available only to the rich, lots and lots of equestrian based sports in the summer. So hawking and falconry, which, of course, is a form of hunting for small birds or small game like rabbits. Um, the hawk does a lot of the work. Yes, it it does. I mean, it's doing the work. Yes, but Um, also (laughs) uh, shout out to T. H. White. They do hawking in uh, the oh yeah. What is it? The Sword in the Stone. The Once in Future Mm -hmm. King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And you know, it's still a thing. And falcons are the most amazing birds ever. (laughs) You know, this is really random. Um, Mm -hmm. A couple, I don't know, six months ago. Martha Stewart posted photos on her Instagram because she was flying somewhere like on United Arab Emirates airline and was sharing the cabin with a bunch of people who were transporting their hawks. <gasps> and they just bought wow. tickets for all the hawks. Yes. Yes. I'm going to cuz you should. This, I'm going to dig this photo up and put it yes. in the the show notes because it was just so hilarious. But yeah, like they had they just had their hawks in the airplane. Because they're the best, best. Yeah. Well, also, I want to give a shout out to Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. Um, the April 2022 edition, which should still be available via HBO if, you know, you want to check it out. Um, there's a whole section on um, how a former drug dealer got into falconry and, like, changed his life and now uses it to try and help inner city kids and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's something they do actually something similar with um there are a lot of prison programs where you prisoners train dogs. Yeah. But this is with falcons. And it's just really cool and awesome. Um but anyway, so falconry is still a thing. It's helpful. It's one of those things that used to be, of course, only for the rich, but now does not have to be. So there you are. Um but of course if you're on United Air Remerts with your hawks having their own <laughs> seats, probably you are yes. in the rich category. Um, but yeah, it's so not the hawking. same world the rest of us live in. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Um, all right. Let's see. Hunting. Other forms of hunting. So the form where you have dogs. Ever, the people are always on horses, right? Whether they right. have falcons or dogs. So the other form of hunting, the one we sort of think about, is with dogs. That also, it can happen in the winter where you would go after a boar. But summer is the big hunting season, really. And the the most important game that you're after is the stag. Right. Um, so that's that's the big one for the summer. What is a stag? It's like a male deer? Yes. It's it, not the its point only is, animal, right? 
Right. But the point is uh, how many points on its antlers. Okay. So you want, you know, a really impressive stag. Okay. Um, cool. And and also it's worth pointing out, of course, medieval literature, we've probably talked about some of it, we'll talk about more of it in the future, um, frequently uses the stag as a metaphor <laughs> for all sorts of things. <laughs> I bet. You know. Yes. Um, well, you know, because it's it's a noble quarry, it's a this and that, you know, it's mm-hmm. a noble animal, it, it means all sorts of things. Anyway, um, it's the nature that we cannot ever understand, it is the thing that always eludes us, etc, etc. Okay. Um, also, jousting. Okay. This is, of course, another medieval sport for the rich. Um, it doesn't have to happen only in the summer, but of course it does happen mostly in the summer for the reasons that war is in the summer and traveling is in the summer, because that's when the weather's good and everything's dry. You can't be fighting at a muddy field. Right. Yeah, so jousting is another thing that happens. Um, and we have definitely talked about it separately, but this is, you know... <laughs> In as much as there are sort of summer sports in the Middle Ages, this is one of the things there is. Um, the Middle Ages, Europe does not sort of go in so much, interestingly, for a lot of for things like the Olympics. I mean, running and discus, discus throwing and stuff like that. But they go in for a lot of horsey stuff. Okay. So, um, yeah, so hunting, various types of hunting, jousting, um, but also swimming, you know. Yeah, so that's those are sort of the fun things you can do in the summer. Although, of course, traveling is also fun. Like, that's not something people do otherwise a lot, right? <laughs> so that's a special thing you do in the summer. Sadly, we're going to end with something else that is similar <laughs> between then and now. And that is fire. We actually talked yes. about this at the very beginning, and we will talk about this now at the end. Yeah. Um. Yes, fires happen in the summer for all the same reasons that traveling is mm-hmm. good in the summer. Things are dry and hot. Um, so it's the dryness that is the problem. Yeah, so here we do controlled burns. Yeah. Um, because there used to be prairie fires. Yes. And they moved, I guess, very fast and yeah, yeah. very bad. Yep. And we have a lot, I mean, like the Midwest, I don't know about the Midwest generally, I, I know about Madison, but we have a, a lot of prairie restoration places and you can burn them and the the um, invasive stuff dies, and then the prairie plants are like, hooray! And mm-hmm. then they grow. Yeah. But, like, I go I go running through all of these different parks, and, like, you'll run in, and you'll be like, you know, I smell this mix of uh, kerosene and burning. No. Like, burnt oh, toast. but they're doing it on purpose. <laughs> but they're doing it on purpose, right. Oof. Yeah. The funny part is, like, there's a road sign you see sometimes that says, controlled burn in progress, do not call police. And I was oh, like, if you yes. stole that, what you could get away with? Oof. <laughs> Hopefully not. Ugh. That's kind of horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is kind of the issue, right? Um, basically, controlled burns are really important. Um, definitely Native Americans did them as well in North America. Um, this is not a thing so much that Europeans did, um, but there were definitely fires. And so, um, there's a, there's an interesting thing. So there's, someone wrote an article, um, there's in Spain, uh, Tortosa, northeastern Spain, um, between like 1370 and 1462, there are records of 
fires, the recurring issue of forest fires and what they tried to do to extinguish them. About two thirds of them happened specifically between July and September, which mm-hmm. of course is the height of, you know, everything's crackling. <laughs> yeah. Um, the cause of the fires are known in only 20% of the cases. Um, and each of those basically careless people, usually shepherds, had started the fire. Um, and so they started, they like made a law that you couldn't start a fire in the forest, basically. Which we have these laws now as and well. we still have careless people who start fires. Oh, God. Yes. The only big one, the only big one is um, on the same night as a Chicago fire Right, like there's a fire up in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and they they accuse some woman of starting the fire in Chicago. Well, her cow, right? The Mrs. a lantern got tipped over. Yes, yes, but I've heard people suggest that maybe there was some sort of um, meteor that broke up or something and caused both fires. That it was like weird that both of them happened at the same night, but maybe. I don't know. Um, I think more, you know, there are a lot of questions. The assumption has always been, because one of the other things was like, oh, people people are like, oh, is this guy that was sort of a gambler or something and people didn't like him and he might have been sleeping in the barn. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't sort of, they blamed the cow for it. But really, I mean, the thing is kind of like, um, yeah, it's one of those things where there's so many things that could have been or could have happened the problem was just all the things kind of aligned, right? Um, and probably it was a person. There's a famous instance in the London subway. What was it? Early 90s, maybe? I don't know. But there's the escalators were still wooden. And some person, who probably to this day doesn't know it was them, assuming they're still alive, dropped a match, you know, that just wasn't quite out after lighting a cigarette, going up the steps, and just the combination of the grease that was under there after years and years and years... The wood, where they dropped it, the way the escalator kind of made this tunnel to the top, and actually scientists who studied it end up finding an effect that they discovered. What? Because of studying this. Yeah, an effect that the way fire moves up an incline in these conditions, in this kind of trough. Mm -hmm. Um, And it basically roared out the top and killed everyone at the top and the person that takes booth and stuff. Um, But it was just this horrific, horrific event. And changed a lot of stuff and laws and, of course, definitely all the escalators and all these things. Um, but it's one of those things, right, where that person, it had to be whoever had passed, that person must have passed by. They figured it out. It took a while for the flames to become visible and then a very short time after that. But they'd probably been under for a bit. So probably someone who'd passed through about 15 minutes before it actually sort of blew over. Um and that person probably never knew, like I said, never knew that it was necessarily them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's, it's so it's probably that sort of thing, right? The, it's quite possible the person who started the Chicago fire didn't know it was them. It's possible that so they did, but it is quite possible that they didn't necessarily, that right. something happened and they left whatever it was, maybe it was the barn, and ta-da, you know? And of course, there are going to be other fires somewhere because other fires are going to happen. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, it turns out that there was this other little fire up north. On the, I'm sure there were plenty of other fires around the country on the same day. Was it's it? just that. Where was you know. it? Was it in Ashwabanon? Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where then suddenly everyone's like, oh my God, they happened. But, you know, 
that's always going to be the case. If it had been a tiny little fire, there just would have been lots of tiny little fires. Well, it's just yeah. that one of them turned out not to be so tiny through just like a perfect, perfect storm of stuff. Um, but anyway, but so Spain, um, interestingly, in 2000, 2001, I think, um, some scientists got together and compared this region of Spain in this period where the forest fires were happening in the Middle, middle Ages to... 1960-1996 okay. to see what might have shifted. And they basically said they didn't think it was that different. Um, the difference was that um, in the 20th century fires, one single fire accounted for 88% of the area burned. Um, but the sort of frequency and number otherwise seemed about the seemed similar which is interesting because of course i'm sure by now right things have gotten a lot worse since 96 things might have changed but also things are already changing because the fact that one fire accounted for 88 percent of the area burned in the modern era already suggests that like that thing got out of control in a way that the fires in the middle ages did not quite (laughs) um which is interesting, right? It it does, even though the scientists are kind of like, I mean, it doesn't seem maybe that much different. Um, It's frequency doesn't seem that different, but, and they said differences in magnitude could be explained by technical resources and fire suppression practices. But the fact that one of the modern ones was so big is, you know, kind of a reminder of, of how fast things can spread. Hmm. Well, like, okay, but, did they look at all at, like, changes in land utilization or something? Well, I think that's the like, point. The forest is still kind of the same stuff. forest. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, so that being said, um, in 1048 in England, um, Derbyshire is first mentioned in um, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle in 1048 in in manuscript D. Um, the Chronicle was created and sent around to various places and then people kept updating it. In those places. So, like, all the manuscripts become different, basically. Under 1048, it gets listed. Um, the, it seems like sort of Mercia has been dismantled a bit. Um, the Peak District. Anyway, so Derbyshire is kind of created. Um, and it says under 1048, this year there was an earthquake on the Calends of May. Um, in many places. So apparently this was a, you know, it was felt widely. A big one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, at Worcester, at Wick, and at Derby, and elsewhere throughout England, with very great loss by disease of men and cattle all over England. And the wildfire in Derbyshire and elsewhere did much harm. Um, so there was apparently a big old wildfire in Derbyshire in 1048 <laughs> that was very harmful. Um, and this is another sort of interesting I mean, I just obviously very interesting parallel because <laughs> this year, England, for the first time in a while, has been having a horrific, horrific, horrific summer. It's hotter there than it has ever been before by a lot. Some of the previous heat waves were like in the upper 30s and it's been getting over 40. This is, of course, degrees Celsius. Um, and there have been fires out the wazoo up there, basically. Just astonishing you know, numbers and amounts and heat. Um, and actually there, we can post this, but, um, there was a, um, wildfire (laughs) specifically, 
um, that burnt this entire area, houses and stuff, all around a medieval church. And the people of the town who lived right in that area, it's Wennington, it's east of London, um, they hid in the church. Oh, okay. And um, the medieval church survived, and there's a picture of it that the Daily Mail has. Probably others have this picture, too. But it is just everything around this church. You can see some houses sort of on one side and on the other side of the church. But the area around the church and the area, you know, they're like three directions from the church. I don't know if it's like north and south and east and west or what. But one direction of the church, you can see how the fire came roaring in, scorched this whole field, came all the way across, burned down everything sort of next to the church and around the church, Left the houses sort of on either side, two sides, okay. Then there's a road on the other side, so that's okay. Um, but just scorched all this other stuff. And um, there's the church standing, <laughs> right? And of course, in the Middle Ages, this would have been a miracle. It is kind of, I mean, you know, it's a nice stone church. It stayed standing, and the firefighters did what they needed to do and watered everything down clearly quite a lot. Um but it is, it's a, it's a really sort of weird parallel to, um, some of these things. I mean, you know, Derbyshire shows up for the first time. This isn't Derbyshire, but it's Derbyshire, the fact that Derbyshire shows up for the first time in 1048 because there was a big old fire there that summer. Um, the idea that this is what England is going through again now, um, is, is kind of pointed. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, <laughs> unfortunately, because this is not a natural warming, it's not clear that there's anywhere to go from here. Um, but yeah, there's there's the medieval church standing um, and everyone who was in it survived. Um, but yeah, there's a back in 2013, by the way, researchers concluded that the Arctic was burning more than ever before. For at least 3,000 years, it hasn't been this bad. And that includes the medieval climate anomaly when Europe got warmer. Um, so that is that is what's happening with fires. The Middle Ages did have them. There was a little bit of a warming period for medieval Europe. Um, but we are having them now, and it's not clear that that will get better. I mean, theirs ended up going back into a little ice age. It's not clear that we're going to have that opportunity. Well, if enough people die of the plague... <laughs> Yes, well, we also have the plague. Lots of things have come back around. Yeah. Not maybe the things we were hoping for. Yeah. But there we yeah, are. Yeah, I wanted like, Anyways. big ball gowns <laughs> and like fancy wigs. I don't know. Yes. Well, we'll probably need those to celebrate to make ourselves feel better. Probably. So. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, well, so that is Summer in the Middle Ages. It was mostly, you know, it was... There was a lot of work, but there was also fun. It was a, it was still a time to travel and do stuff if you could afford it. Um, obviously, if you couldn't, you were working in the fields, but there was good weather and it was dry and it was getting hotter, but not quite like today. There could be fires uh, also like today, but maybe not quite as terrible as the ones we have today. <laughs> yes. Yes. And there we are. Well, on that note, um, yep. <laughs> this has been cheering uh, thank you for talking to me, and thank you all for joining us. You can catch up with us on the Facebooks by searching for Ask a Medievalist. You can follow us on Twitter, um, where you will see all of our episodes posted, and sometimes uh, retweets of bits of 
illuminated manuscript <laughs> um, or whatnot. And uh, we have a website, which is askamedievalist.com. So check it out and feel free to leave us a review, shout your praise into the ether, uh, whatever makes you the happiest. So until next time, uh, stay cool, keep washing your hands, and keep it medieval. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons Attributional Non-Commercial License version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at askamedievalist.com.